And then I realized, you know, there's another way to think about it, which is more in terms of the pursuit of like principled actions in life, right? Principled goals in life. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Lao Tzu, mastering others is strength, mastering yourself is true power. My guest today, Dr. Hatandra Wadwa, knows a ton about mastery. He is a professor at Columbia Business School, founder of the Mentora Institute, and a highly respected coach for Fortune 100 C-suite executives. His course on personal leadership and success is one of the most popular at Columbia Business School, and his latest book, Inner Mastery, Outer Impact, is available today wherever books are sold. Dr. Wadwa, welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Thank you for having me, Robert. Pleasure to be here with you and your listeners. Well, to start, I thought it'd be interesting. I always like hearing a little bit about the beginning. Could you share a little bit about your early life and what led you to study leadership and, and success? Yeah, I grew up in India, and I have to say from a very early age, I got interested in two things. One is mathematics. I love the pattern recognition I could get, the uh, precision of thought, the, uh, in a sense, the elegance and beauty, which those of us who have that kind of mathematical bent will appreciate, and for others, they'll be scratching their head. And then uh, the other thing was mysticism, really studying and understanding what is the true nature of life and the universe and creation and, you know, what happens, uh, you know, after death and where did I come from before I was even conceived in my mother's womb and, you know, all of that. So I ended up having this dualistic kind of life. But on the one hand, on the outside, I was really passionately pursuing, you know, the uh, traditional trappings of success and achievement, wanting to do well academically and ultimately professionally, moving from India at the age of 21 after college to the United States. And then on the other hand, having these inner hungers, you know, for wanting to be more true to myself and discover more my soul potential and understand my connection with every atom and creation and all of that. And and I kind of like suppressed that part, you know, and I continue to pursue the outer part, made my way through my MBA and PhD and, you know, worked in strategy consulting for a while and, you know, was part of the Web 1.0 craziness in Silicon Valley to do a startup um, in 99, 2002. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, around the age of like my early to mid thirties, I started to feel, you know, a certain like dryness of spirit within and um, really was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up and decided I want to slow life down, pull away a little bit from, you know, just a professional kind of imperative and um, found my way back into academia, you know, started to do some teaching at Wharton and Columbia and ultimately made a home for myself at, at Columbia and the business school. And and uh, experimented, you know, experiment with a new language, a new set of ideals and ideas to put out there, things which I felt I deeply believed in, had personally quietly invested in, in my inner life, but I hadn't really expressed very formally and, you know, very tangibly in my professional life on the outside. And, um, you know, that was all these ideas about, you know, what's, you know, the secret to happiness and what's, you know, our connection with, you know, all of humanity and what is a principled approach to the pursuit of success and everything you do. And, what does the inner life have to do with the outer life? And and that's what led to, um, you know, me seeking to frame it in a way that my audience would get motivated and driven, you know, by these ideas. And so since the language of business and the language of, you know, successful achievement-oriented folks in business is, is leadership, uh, I thought, well, that would be a nice kind of language to use, nice kind of ideal in which to craft. And, and um, you know, for me, one of the big learnings from here has been like, Oh, wow. You know, if one is interested in ideas like mysticism and the inner life and the richness of an understanding of who we are at a soul potential, then it doesn't matter. You know, if you're an artist, if you're a business educator, if you're a politician, if you're a, a scientist, each of those is merely a discipline through which you can bring into outer manifestation in the form of that language, that profession, that pursuit, you know, these same ideas. And so for me, it just happened to be leadership. So I'm curious in that journey, which was very interesting, right? <laughs> Took you through, but like, how did your fundamental understanding of the kind of leadership and the role of leadership evolve? Did you have varying opinions at some point, and some part of the discipline brought you across the other line, or I'm sure, I'm sure there was an evolution in there. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd love to get your reactions on this as well, Robert. So let me kind of offer a couple of thoughts and then, you know, yeah. give me your reactions to that. So so for me, like maybe at some level, it's been a three or four part journey. You know, in the first stage, I felt that leadership was about, you know, power and authority. And how do you win, you know, the right to be one of those, um, you know, chosen ones, you know, who had the right level of budget and responsibility and, you know, ownership and, you know, staff and, you know, could therefore, you know, manifest, you know, great things because you were the CEO of this company or what have you. Because so you had my... people under you, right? Yeah, because yeah. you, yeah, you, you had a lot of people, you got a lot of sway and all of that. And then I realized, you know, there's another way to think about it, which is more in terms of the pursuit of like principled actions in life, right? Principled goals in life. And that if you do the right way, if you pursue it in the right way, success may not come to you today or tomorrow, but at some point it'll start knocking on your door. Instead of you chasing success, success will start to chase you. And when I looked at the Abram Lincolns and the Nelson Mandela's and the Mother Teresa's and the and the Gandhi's and you know, all of that. I mean, I, I found very much that to be true of them. You know, they were not really chasing power, but at some point it was point, a long game, right? It, it, was, it was a long game, and also it was a game with a lot of non-attachment to those, you know, typical hungers, you know, that otherwise we might have in a pursuit of material success. They were doing it for deeper purposes, you know, for, for the advancement of humanity, for the advancement of a certain purpose or cause they had. And they were able to hold people in their sway. It was not as much outer charisma, but inner charisma. And, and ultimately, you know, power started to come to them, you know, rather than them having to chase it. So that became, in a sense, like my second uh, way of defining leadership, which is that leadership is about the principal pursuit of a certain purpose, you know, in, in a certain disciplined way. And then, you know, before you know it, at some point, the right things start to come to you, you know, rather than you having to chase it. But then is it power that came to them or is it influence? Yeah, it's a good point. I would say that um, ultimately for the kind of people I just spoke about, in a sense, they they got both, you know, they got both power and influence. But I do want to appreciate, you know, the distinction you're making, because, you know, if you want to think about it, um, power can get you compliance, yeah. you know, but it's when you win over people's hearts, you know, and minds that you get commitment. And uh, for them, uh, one of the very differentiating things I see exactly, I think, to the point that you're intuiting is that they were not just seeking to exercise raw power over people they wanted to win people's hearts and minds and that is harder work but it's also more long-lasting but i i, I want to kind of close out that uh in response to your question about what do i see as leadership with a third you know and final stage really and that is where i started to get transformed over the last 15 years with not just my studies of some of these like great ones from history and from the latest science but from the stories of just everyday heroes you know, often these were like my students' you know grandfather, you know, who was a Holocaust survivor and and yeah. uh, ended up having to rebuild you know his whole life after having lost his whole family there and what have you. And yet was pursuing life with so much vigor with a capacity to be thankful and positive and serviceful in everything that he did. And that's just one example. And so stories like this of everyday unsung heroes who just quietly, in their own sphere of influence, you know, are able to manifest, you know, incredible sparks of, you know, if you want to call it like divine power and grace, you know, um, has made me realize that we shouldn't just be looking for exemplars, you know, uh, in some of these more, you know, public lives, but also just in the private arena, you know, of our own friends and family and others, including our own self. We may find that there are these sparks, and there are these moments, there are these chapters, and sometimes there are these quiet lives, you know, that have just... Um, manifested such exemplary leadership i'm curious too in this journey where where do you end on the born versus made <laughs> spectrum of leadership and let's i should have prefaced maybe also let's carve out the distinction first between leadership and management and then again i think managers are they can be one and the same or they can be different but then is that is it is it a or b or c some combination in terms of you know born or made you know, I, I have a definition of leadership a little bit sort of away from the more sort of, uh, you know, kind of traditional way of even making the distinction between manager yeah. and leader, because in some ways, uh, and Robert, I mean, like with all the success you have, you know, the pursuits that you're doing, I'd be very respectfully and curiously interested in your reaction to this, right? So my way of thinking about leadership is to seek to make it an invitation that everyone and anyone is able to take on in any role and sphere of their life, right? So to that end, 
you could be a manager, but you may not be leading, or you could be a manager and you could be leading, right? Correct. Or you could be a leader, um, uh, you know, without being a manager. And so the definition I want to offer to you is uh, motivated by, let me just share a story, you know, as a way to kind of illustrate that. So this is a story shared by one of my executive education participants. Um, he said, you know, I'm a secret service agent in Washington, D.C. And this one day, I'm sitting in the evening, the backyard, my wife and I, we were going to have dinner and some wine. And he says, uh, suddenly this man breaks in with a gun and points it at us and rushes over to us and says, one of you go in and get all your jewels and all your cash and come back here and I'm going to hold the other one hostage. And he said, you know, here I am as a secret service agent. I mean, I'm used to like dealing with emergencies. But before I could do anything, my wife just breaks in and she says, I can't believe you're doing this. You know, you're 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 putting our lives at risk and you're putting your own life at risk. And there must be something seriously going wrong in your life. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise, why would you do this? You know, kind of an extreme step. So, you know, look, my husband and I, we were going to sit here, drink some wine, eat some dinner. I, I want you to sit down here with us and tell me a little bit more about your life and what's going on, because I'm deeply concerned. And, you know, put your gun aside and come, come sit down here with us. And he said, like, I was... I was taken aback, but before I know it, this man's put his gun down. He's sitting down with us. He's having dinner. And of course, it's a sad, you know, tale, you know, his life and what's going on and the struggles and, you know, we feel for him. Um, and then at the end of the meal, you know, he's reaching out for his gun. And I told him, sir, you can leave, but you cannot take your gun. And he says that next morning, I there was a knock on our door and I was bracing myself because I saw it was him, you know, and when I come to the door and open it, uh, he says, sir, I just, you know, I want to assure you, I, I'm not here for the gun, but, um, you know, I just wanted to thank your wife, you know, for what she did last night and thank you as well for hosting me. It actually had a really strong impact on me. You know, I, I share the story to to just ask the question. I mean, in that moment, you know, here's this guy, he's got all the power, he's got the gun, you know, here's this guy who's got all the training, he's a secret service agent and and yet who was leading and who was following, you know? And if we all agree that she was the one who was leading in that moment, you know, his his wife, um, then we have to open ourselves up to defining leadership, you know, in a way that can fit that kind of a situation, you know. And so I, I saw many of these come up. I got sparked. I was like, how can that be part of what great leadership is? And so the definition I came up with, which, you know, I test with you today, you know, Bob, is leadership is about bringing out the best in yourself and in others in any situation you're thrust in, for the service of a noble purpose. So it always starts with a noble intent, a noble purpose. And then even if somebody's pointing a gun at you, it's about, you know, trying to do your best to bring out the best. I don't know. What, what, what do you think of that? My definitions that I've held on to intersect with yours. I don't. There's like cause and effect. I guess there's similarly too, which is always the two thing I've seen with leaders is that, you know, they, they, People want to follow them, right? They don't lead with power. People choose to to follow really a great leader. Not that a leader doesn't have to manage at some point. And the other thing is they find a way to make the the, the whole greater than the sum of the parts. And I think as you were saying that, I think it led into yours because it would have to be a noble thing for me to want to follow, you know, or, yeah. or it have there has to be a vision or something that you're willing to sign up and and do something that you know you don't have to or follow. And then I think, again, you would continue to do that when you see that this person is is great at, you know, gets more, you know, that one plus one equals five. Like that would make you, you know, want to be part of them. I think you think of any great sports coach or whatever, you know, they seem to, you know, the team is better than the individual players. So, uh, you know, I, again, I think leaders have to manage at some point. But when I think manager, I think someone needs to listen to you. They're following you. I am your manager. I am your, like that is never uttered in examples of leadership right where you're not pulling the the power card yeah i think what i'm hearing from you you know is this quality of inspiration that leaders have this capacity to really inspire and kind of light a fire and and to continue to build on that idea that you just kind of brought up one thing i hypothesize when i find the common denominators you know across the mandelas and the lincolns and the eleanor roosevelt's you know examples of leaders i admire is that the way they had people getting drawn to following them, you know, which is one of the key things you're saying a good leader does, is because they were able to get people to recognize, you know, incredible strength and grace and purity and heroism within their own self. In other words, not merely in the hero they were seeking to follow, you know, that heroic leader, 
but in their own self. And so, so they wanted to follow somebody who made them feel good about themselves, made them feel yeah. good by making them come to the truest part of who they were, you know, their highest potential, their best self, you know, somebody who really wants to, you know, be able to live a meaningful life and at some point look back and feel like, oh, wow, I was part of like a, a really beautiful quest. Yeah. And, and I mean, now it actually leads, you teed up my next question perfectly. Like, I, I think, why do you, or what's the most common struggle you've seen uh, leaders face when trying to kind of balance their personal dreams and ambitions with the, you know, dreams of their role? I think that there's definitely some leaders, whether it was Gandhi or someone developing, you know, putting a rocket ship on the moon, or when you think about the Apollo program, or putting a new airline in the sky where people are so driven by the 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 mission, right? That, that doing something that hasn't been done, that they're kind of willing to endure a lot. Um, but for most of our businesses, we don't have that. <laughs> I always say, like, I, I lament that I, I don't have that North star like we're not going to put a, a spaceship you know on, on the moon or or something in air but again i think that people struggle with you know am I, am I is this work a thing i do to then have my ambition outside of work or how do i marry these two things yeah yeah you know i have to say bob that i i reached a certain sort of juncture in um both my life journey and in the kind of success principles, right, that I'm seeking to explore and codify and have exchanges with you and you yeah. know, refine along the way, that um, I really, you know, aspire to kind of want to be able to prove and show that we do not have to dichotomize life, you know, between our work and everything else. We don't have right. to trichotomize it between our private and our professional and our friends or whatever. No, 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 no. It's just the same you. It's the same you. It's the same energy. It's the same consciousness. It's showing up in all these different arenas. And it's showing up there intentionally, intentionally. You know, you're choosing to show up there. So if you're choosing to show up there, why would you not want you, I, I mean, any of us, right? Why would we not want to do our life's most beautiful work, right? In that moment. Because look, here's the deal. I saw a photograph once of a scene of pandemonium at LAX, right? There had been a bomb scare and this was the baggage claim area. And people had been taking their bags out and suddenly there was this, you know, announcement about the, you know, bomb kind of risk and all of that. People were being asked to vacate, you know, the terminal. And so these people had just like abandoned the luggage, you know, right there and had run, right? And so this was just a photograph of the abandoned luggage lying strewn around this baggage claim area. And I looked at it and I smiled and I was like, look, it's so interesting because these individuals, you know, when they were holding, the, they had held the bag, right? And they'd pull it out from the baggage belt. And they were now going towards the door, just walking towards the door. If you had asked them at that point, right, five seconds from now, where do you think you will be? They, they would have said, I'm 100% confident that, you know, I'm going to be at the door with my bag, right? But actually, it turned out to be not true. It turned out to be not true. So, you know, can we recognize all of us that, like, we have no guarantee about tomorrow. We have no guarantee about tomorrow. In fact, the only guarantee that we have is that 100 years from now, we're all dead. You know, between now and that, like, we have no guarantee. So if the only thing that we can actually really only know is that life is finite the clock is ticking and every moment is just a gift that has been given to us then why not make the most of it right now if you start with that thesis with that idea that every day that i show up at work it's a gift right how am i going to do my life's most beautiful work then i just better make sure that the role i'm playing the project i'm on the you know employment that i've taken on i genuinely believe that I'm going on a hero's journey when I do that, that I look back with a sense of pride. You know, it could be humble pride. It could be pride that I was able to serve these four people on my team. I was able to put, you know, food on the table for my family. I was able to keep this place, as some janitors say about, you know, work in a hospital, you know, pristine and clean so that these people who are healing, you know, and, yeah. you know, their life was at risk, they're able to kind of heal well, you know, in, the, in this hospital. So, Whatever meaning you want, you know, I've had dormant, you know, uh, for example, there's one dormant of a bank, you know, who does a pirouette and like a little samba, you know, with his, with his you know, executives who are walking in through the door, you, you know, I, and he says like, look, I mean, these people go up there and make all the hard decisions and I get like food on the table for my family and I, I want to put a smile on the face when they go up and do their work because that, that's what pays for, you know, my bills. 
So uh, why not, right? Make sure that you are creative enough to think about how to project and express your values, you know, for each of us, right? Who's listening, me and you, to project our values, right? In the best possible way on whatever platforms we've been given. Your job is not your purpose, but it is a platform. It is a platform through which you can express your values and your passions to ultimately feel good, you know, about the choices you made. And for some reason, if it's not working for you, maybe in the medium term, you know, you'll network and you'll connect and you'll experiment and you'll find your way to another place. But between now and then, why not make full use? Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Right. Don't pout. Do your best. Excellence. Yeah. There, there's so many tracks that came out of what you just said. I want to I wanna dive into two of them. The first is, and I think what I heard in there a lot is, and I've seen this, look, we saw the great resignation. I wrote an article in 2021 and said, I, I see this. I think a lot of people are doing this for the wrong reason. I think that it's been a tough couple of years. It's tired. Like if you decided you're in the wrong industry or you're working with the wrong people, I get it. But if you're just tired and you think that change is going to bring all of the answers, like the devil you know is sometimes better than the devil you don't know. And now we, I just saw an article, 80% of people regret changing jobs in that, in that wave. So, mm-hmm. But I also think it's this focus that there is this perfect job that there's this perfect thing the dream job and it's not it's the what not the how right i yeah. for a lot of people i've said look i i think you're you're a process person right so it's not about whether you work at company a or b it's like how do you find a way to improve processes like it's the that's what gives you energy right maybe maybe you're focused a little too much on the on the what and not how you know you can show up so that's that's one track the other is, and I wrote my Friday Ford on this last week, but I find this narrative totally disingenuous in, in the market that when things go well, teams and leaders and people get credit. When things are done poorly, companies are blamed. Companies are not real objects, right? <laughs> companies, yeah. when a layoff goes terribly, the company didn't do something horrible. A bunch of people did things that were bad or were made choices. And by the way, when they are then the victim of those choices, they tend to forget that they were the propagator of those choices in other, in other situations. So I, I, those are two tracks. You can do one, both. I'm curious your, your comments on both of those, but this, this kind of, they narrative, the company, these people, like, I, I just feel like you're totally abdicating individual responsibility and leadership. You know, you're reminding me, um, there's a great book called uh, six pillars of self-esteem. I don't know if you ever come across no, that. Um, I had another uh, one to my night table. My wife is going to kick me out of the bedroom, so I need to start reading. <laughs> I need to start reading down on them first. Yeah, yeah. This one is a little dated, but it's uh, to me, it's like a classic. Nathaniel Brandon. He used to 
uh, did uh, Ayn Rand actually at wow. some point, and so he was a psychotherapist who, who wrote this wonderful book on. He was a psychotherapist that dated Ayn Rand. That must have been a fascinating. <laughs> you can imagine. You can imagine. Yeah. He's got a couple of stories in there actually about, about his own journey in into grappling with the self esteem because yeah. of you know marrying someone you know so larger than life like her. Um, so anyway, this book was a classic, but about I think like maybe twenty years ago. Again, pretty timeless in terms of some of his wisdom. Uh, so one of the things he says there to help people on self-esteem issues, he said like, you know, just accept that nobody is coming to save you. Nobody's coming to save you. You know, not like a great boss. You know, not like a great job. You know, not like somebody who's just a great perfect lover. You know, you know, yeah. nobody's coming to save you. You'll be fortunate, you know, if you are able to draw those kinds of you know uh, people into your life. But you have to look out for yourself. You know, you have to be, in a sense, your own best friend. You have to, first and foremost, bolster, you know, your sense of resilience from within, from within, right? And yeah. um, in the times we live in today, it pains me, pains me to see sometimes people struggling with some of these issues and mainstream media just, uh, you know, validating and affirming for them that obviously it makes sense for you to feel the way you're feeling because just look how horrible your life is or look how horrible things are around you. Yeah. I don't think that that's else's actually fault. necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's you know, we, we don't have to see that way. You know, we don't have to see that because nobody's coming to save us. You know, I mean, look, the country and the world is not suddenly going to turn like super clean and pure and beautiful and loving, and you know, it's going to take centuries. You know, for us to get to utopia. So if we do. And so in the meanwhile, like, why would I let any of my days and weeks and years just go by without me choosing rightfully so to want to have peace of mind, want to have reassurance and comfort and clarity, you know, and that's why some of the research shows that people who have a spiritual practice in their lives, they're actually having a better time right now in terms of their mental health. And I, I just say that not as much to promote a certain pursuit of religion or what have you, but just to promote the idea that let's all of us take stewardship at the minimum over our inner life if we cannot necessarily control perfectly our outer conditions. And we will all see the difference, you know, very soon when we recognize that our thoughts, our feelings, our intentions are 100% in our control. And when you bring the right energy to the room, you just start winning more friends and you start influencing more people. And before you know it, you know, good luck just starts to come your way. Our actions too, right? I think, again, just very simply, a company is not a real thing. An organization is not a real thing. It's a bunch of people who have agreed to come together and work towards a common goal. There are values or otherwise, but it doesn't make a decision, right? I think we'd be more honest if we're talking about the role. And this is where the roles of good leaders and good actions versus bad leaders and bad actions. But it's pretty funny. I Again, it, it, like you're not the company in one version of the story, and then you are harmed by the company in the other version of the story. It's similar to what you're saying. It just shows to me very little agency. Yeah, and I think that's very true, even of um, certain social movements. You know, for example, you look at environmentalism, right? We make a few actors to be the bad actors, you know, like the oil companies. Uh, but like, who are these oil companies? There are people. There are powering your car, and brothers yeah. and sisters. <laughs> yeah, and there are investors like us who are investing in you know uh, stocks and in funds that we put pressure on those funds to give us good returns. And it's a capitalist system and people therefore make business decisions in order to generate the returns that will get them as executives to be able to make their bonuses. So ultimately, we're all part of the system. None of us is removed from the system. Here's another example of that. Um, I, this has happened at our company, so I'll be honest, but I, you know, I wrote a book on remote work and I, I've heard it happen at a lot of other companies. People are super frustrated with HR departments that they won't let them work from anywhere. And they feel that this is a decision that is made to harm them in some way or inflexibility. You talk to the people at the AHR departments and they're like, look, there are laws, there are regulations. You know, you go work in Russia, we've got a problem. You go work in the state and we have to register and pay taxes and all this money. And then we are, we, the HR team are spending all day doing this compliance stuff and not anything they want. We, we would love to tell you that you could work anywhere but it just goes against labor laws and state laws and all of these things. And it's just actually not feasible for a, for a hundred person company to try to register in all these places. And, and, you know, in talking about this sometimes, it, you know, and explain like to the people like, Hey, these are people really trying to do their best. They're people like you. They're trying to come up with a policy that is fair, that doesn't have all their time on things that they don't want to be doing. So they can't, the things that you've asked to be done. And like, again, the, the assumption that, 
that people are out to get you, that the company is out to get you, like is just it's just really interesting to me. I, I look, I think a lot of companies haven't explained it. Some have tried to, and they've said, look, the burden on us of being a 70 person company and letting people go to all these places and create liabilities and problems and co- we, we just can't do I'd love I would love to, but it, th- there's no there's no sort of viewing that from the other point. It's almost, like again, there's this view they're trying to harm me in some way. I just find that narrative interesting. Yeah. Well, let, let's zoom out, you know, uh, to the conversation we we're just having about leadership, right? And yeah. uh, I'm reminded here of the time Mandela, he um, was arrested, thrown into prison. You know, as many of us know, he spent a lot of time there, actually 27 years before conditions changed yeah. and um, he was let free and ultimately led South Africa to a peaceful transition away from apartheid towards uh, democratic rule. Now, during that period when he was in prison, he was consorting with others of his ilk, you know, the African National Congress. And one of them, you know, another rebels who was in prison that time, he mentions how he was looking at Mandela and seeing that he was starting to learn the uh, language of the white oppressors, you know, the African language. Mm. And he was studying the history. And he was, Mandela, what are you doing? This is the enemy's language. This is the enemy's history. You know, and Mandela looked at him and he said, someday we are going to have to negotiate with the enemy. It will be to our advantage to understand them, to understand their world, to understand their motivations when that time comes. And so I encourage you to do the same thing. Now you fast forward 20 years into his 27-year incarceration, he starts getting identified, you know, by the African population, the um, the white, you know, apartheid yeah. government, as being the one person who seems to be a bridge builder, who seemed to have it in him that maybe they could, you know, actually hand over power and not suffer any grievous consequences, which is one fear that was, you know, making them hold on to power because they were afraid of what would right. happen to, to them. And so they quietly draw him out and start engaging secret talks with him in his last few years in prison. Uh, president Botha was, you know, the president of South Africa at that time. And so in one of those moments, you know, Mandela has his first face-to-face with Botha. And in, in that conversation, uh, he had been warned, you know, by Botha's deputy, do not bring up Walter Sisulu, who was one of, uh, you know, Mandela's, you know, compatriots, and who had committed in the eyes of the government a much more minor crime. He shouldn't have been in prison that long, but he had been. Not to bring him up because both I was no way going to engage with any kind of conciliation about releasing him from prison. And, and both I was known to be a very defiant and assertive man. And yet Mandela disarms him and he disarms him by exactly all the study he's done, by speaking to him in his native language, by actually acknowledging the history of the Africana population and honoring it, you know, and showing how they themselves have been freedom fighters, you know, to fight off the hegemony of the British and to get the British out of South Africa in order to kind of push for their independence. So so both are now starting to, you know, see that he understands me, understands, you know, where we have yeah. come from and, and he's affirming us. So he, he's not as bad a guy as I thought he might be, et cetera. And once he's fully warmed up, then Mandela looks at him and says, you know, uh, you know, Mr. President, you had this person in your party who was a freedom fighter and the British, you know, had imprisoned him, but only for so long. You've imprisoned Walter Sisulu for so much longer, you know, for doing the same thing for us. You should release him, <laughs> you know. And, and both immediately looks at his deputy, the same one who had actually privately warned Mandela outside the room not to bring it up and says, we should look into that. Why don't you look into actually getting Walter Sisulu released? And sure enough, you know, Mandela walks out of his office and Within a few months, Sisulu was released. And, uh, you know, I just share that to just, um, yeah, I mean, can you imagine the amount of angst and hatred and, you know, just. I, yeah, I, I've shared very similar advice. I'm not going to say I was channeling Mandela with people around. I really, you know, having seen people who fundamentally drove change with people who disagreed with them on a core level, it is almost that they were willing to sit down and just listen and they pulled something out of that and they were willing to just hear it and understand. They may have missed that that person had some pain or some trauma and they don't have to agree with them. But I've also said the same thing, which is if you want to argue against someone or you want to go against them, wouldn't you very selfishly, wouldn't you at least want to understand the core motivation of their argument? Even if you just do it for yourself to say, like, if I'm going to want to take these people down, I, I'd want to understand that. So you know, a lot of the the tactics that are being espoused today to 
help create more understanding. Actually, you know, I talked to some people, it, they go against all psychological principles that <laughs> that are academic about how you actually enact change, which is that no one in a state of being threatened is open or changes their mind. And a lot of these things start by a threatening demeanor rather than a, I'm going to listen. I had, I had Daryl Dix on this podcast who is known for, you know, getting more KKK Klansmen to quit. And you'd think that he went on some, you know, aggressive movement to drag them down and embarrass them. And he just sat down and listened to their stories. And I think, you know, only a hundred of them mailed their hoods, you know, to him. And I, the people that have actually crossed bridges and change or otherwise, it's all the same answer. And then you hear a whole bunch of other people who are screaming and saying stuff <laughs> that doesn't actually work in terms of kind of trying to have some common understanding. So taking it back to that last example, you know, rather than assuming that the HR department is is out to screw you, you could say, well, can you explain to me, you know, why we have these rules? And you could hear that. And then you might say, well, okay, like I now I understand that actually this problem. So, but are there things that we could do or how would this work? Or, you know, but try to just I think understand again where someone is coming from. Don't assume this seems to be a core theme that I keep kind of hearing. Yeah, very well put. Very well put. Um, I've spoken to Daryl as well, and he's just a great exemplar of this quality. Great exemplar because what could be a more difficult situation in our own kind of you know life? Uh, you know, Mandela seems it's so far out of reach, but here's Daryl, right, and he's facing these kind of everyday moments with, you know, people who are avowedly and officially. In a but Daryl would be canceled in some, and I don't mean to be political, but he he would be ostracized ironically in some yeah. parts of the thing for even being willing to have the conversation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, which is painful, painful, yeah. painful. I mean, you know, so the, the, um, the other layer I want to put on it is that, so, you know, you got this party and you are fiercely opposed, you know, to their point of view, and yet you want to engage with them. You don't want to just, uh, you know, kind of withdraw, right. right? And so if you want to engage with them, then to your point, you you got to kind of like understand them. But, you know, maybe, you know, the other submission I would make is that you want them to see you as their friend. Or at least someone who will listen, right? If not their friend, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, friend as in like, Somebody who's likable, somebody, yeah. you know, so put judgments aside, put your anger aside for a minute, just kind of know him, right? Just kind of know him. And then they'll give you the hand, you can hold their hand, and they'll allow you to walk one step with them, not 10 steps with them, you know? So don't take 10 steps, just take one step, you know? So what Daryl does, as you remember, like from your conversation with him as well, is that he'll just throw some data out of them and he'll throw some logic out of them. You know, you're saying like, black people like this. Here I am. I'm a black person. I'm sitting with you. Right. You know, do I actually conform to that? Do you, no, if I don't, that means there is at least one black person who's not like this, right? Why right. don't you go home and think about that now, right? And so just like small steps, small steps, right? All right. So your book, uh, your new book, Inner Mastery, Outer Impact, uh, as I said, comes out today and talks about the idea of of inner and outer success, which I think is sprinkled across a lot of what we talked about earlier. But just to kind of nail the landing on that, how do you differentiate the two? Yeah, you know, look, I mean, uh, we've all generally been, you know, aware of like material goals people have in life, right? Like, I, I want this kind of success, this kind of finances and what have you. Um, but then we may have also heard of what they call, you know, the eulogy kind of virtues, right? Yeah. Which is like, what, you know, would people say, you know, at the time that you, you know, that they're actually holding a memorial service, you know, or what will they say in your obituary, right? And that's that's one way to think about it, which is like, what's the mark that I'm going to leave behind in the world? What's my family going to say about me? What are my friends? What are my colleagues? What's the larger well, What you know, do world? I want them to say, right? Yeah, well, what <laughs> do I want them to say, right? But even that to me is actually not enough because that is all about outer. It's all about outer. It's It's what the rest of the world is going to think about me and say about me and what have you. Inner success is a different animal. And to motivate that, I just want to share how, you know, there is this uh, hospice care worker in Australia. So she looks after the people who are, you know, close to the end of their life. Young people, old people, they just happen to be at that point now, you know, with a terminal illness or some other reason, they're just going to, you know, imminently die, right? And and what she does is she, she asks them this question that, uh, look, I mean, your life is, you know, going to be coming to an end soon, and I'm here for you. And I'm just, you know, curious to learn from you. So when you reflect on your life, like, what is your biggest regret? What is your biggest regret in life? And she found a common pattern across these individuals, which she ended up logging on and ultimately writing a, like a bestseller on. 
And the most frequent cited regret among these people, it had nothing to do with like, you know, I didn't spend more time with my family. I didn't play as much golf as I wanted to, or, you know, I, I have this regret that I had this fight with this person. I didn't resolve it. No, it, it wasn't the kinds of things you and I might think, you know, it was that my biggest regret is that I lived my life more in conformity, you know, to what other people's expectations were of me and not as much in a way that was true to myself. And, and that's what to me inner success is. Inner success is being able to, in that moment where, you know, you've gone into the theater of life, you know, you've done your role, you know, on that stage, you have hungered, you know, for the uh, approval, you know, of all the people in the audience. And now, and now the curtain is falling and the lights are dimming and, and yeah, you know, the audience has done what they had to, but they're, they're fading away. And in that moment, as you take that last bow, you suddenly realize, my God, like the only person that I really want right now, you know, real approval from is, is my own conscience, is my own inner voice, is my own self. How did I think I did in that stage of life, you know, in this moment? And so, so that's inner success is that in that moment, you will look back and feel, you know, I did well. Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, Dan Pink, who who we had on this podcast to talk about his latest book, The Power of Regret, um, he looked at it more specifically. I have heard that the two things he said was almost all the regrets uh, fell into things that they didn't do versus things that they did, which aligns to what you said. And he also said he wants to start a travel agency for people who never went abroad in college, because as far as he can tell, that's the number one regret was people who didn't go abroad or travel when they had the opportunity to again, which is, and why do you hear, well, I got to take the classes or I got to do this, or I got I got to conform. I got to do what the system wants me to do, not what I want to do. And I was just advising yeah. someone, you know, who who was graduating from college this year. And are you going to backpack around and do that? And I was like, I know I sound a hundred telling you this, but like, you're not going to have a lot of windows where you can do that kind of for eight weeks. I know you want to start the job or do this or the responsible thing, but like, just go do that. You're not going to remember those the the thousand dollars you earned during that time. Yeah, I, I love this free spiritedness, you know, this um hunger for experimentation, discovery. It's it's very core to the American spirit and it's something that I've really appreciated, you know, and, and so many in America that I've seen with that backpacking, you know, go into nature, explore the world kind of temperament. Um and and uh, I mean, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying, you know, not to make sure you don't have the regret. For me, like one of the things that has really helped me there. You know, and I've like pivoted involved and changed my profession probably about like five times. You know, I wanted to be a mathematician, then I wanted to be a management consultant, then a startup kind of guy, and you know, and then be professorial and teach like marketing and strategy until I finally found my home now in, in what I do, the fusion of the inner and the outer, the spiritual and the material, you know, life and leadership. Um, but along the way, what's really helped me is to actually look at other people as as living museums. You know, as examples of the kind of energy I'll have 
the kind of you know fulfillment i will be experiencing and the kind of life i'll be leading if that is the path i take so i look at people who are 20 30 years you know more senior to me and you know i would say oh you know if all i do is mathematics and this is the kind of individual i will become if all i did was management consulting that's the kind of individual i would become etc and oftentimes in those moments you know i would be very passionate about my profession in that moment but when i look at it 20 30 years into the future through the eyes of that one individual i would realize you know what intuitively that's not where i want to end up you know i there is something else i want out of my life. i have huge respect for this person in the present moment they and i are having a beautiful exchange connection and shared pursuit and at the same time i know that i'm being called and pulled you know to want to do something beyond this well the other thing you spoke about in your book which i think is interesting is you talk about these five core energies right uh, purpose wisdom growth love self realization we've probably covered them a lot but but can you like just kind of talk a little bit of an overview and how they contribute to success and then to make the question more complicated because i know there's a lot of debate around success what is what does success look like again what is in this lens of outer success and inner success and they can be one and the same or different and then how do these core five core energies support that yeah no it's a great question great question see when you look at it in terms of outer versus inner often there is a conflict for us we want to be approved and admired and get all the opportunities in the world but we also just want to be true to our own self you know and and if you do too much of your own self thing then you don't get the followership and the support and the love and the enduring relationships or the opportunities or a broad enough platform you know and or if you just like are very conformist with what the world demands from you then of course your spirit just feels very dry from within and so the whole journey in my book is to help people see that this is a false dichotomy that in fact there is no conflict between the inner and the outer but for that we need to learn to play this game of the pursuit of success the right way and we do that when we start to challenge what the world around us is telling us what it takes to succeed on the inside to be true to yourself or to succeed on the outside you know to be true to the world for example with regard to being true to yourself you know we we think it's about following every impulse i have and being able to express any thought or feeling you know i have and and just just being sort of same myself but we also know that you know within me there are many conflicting selves and perhaps there are within you too you know there's a part of me that wants to please some people there's a part of me that just wants to please myself part of me wants to indulge in a certain habit part of me wants to just be very restrictive and careful and disciplined about my eating and consumption because i i want to live a long life want to have a healthy body and what have you and so so there are actually within us many competing selves and if we take an honest look we might actually recognize that some of these are our true friends and some of these are our false friends right. and so to be true to ourselves we have to first go through that like in some ways to me very exhilarating journey of self discovery to actually understand which of my impulses which of my emotions in a given moment which thoughts which beliefs are actually the ones i want to put my bed on that that's my true me and the rest of them i want to challenge them remold them change them you know and walk away from them you know where needed so what is your true self and the thesis i offer in the book is that there is a space between each of us within each of us that we might call our inner core you know and the inner core is a space from where your best self arises you know when you're at that core you feel very pure and and beautiful and you know connected and committed and curious and and you're just able to pull away from insecurities and attachments and an ego you know and so we drift in and out of that state you know we're not always consistently in that state we can do more to go even deeper into attunement with that state the more we do the more we start to get intuitions and inklings and deeper kind of grounding in our own inner voice and and yet from time to time when we are rushed and distracted and pulled into the outer world and just you know get far away from that we start feeling in a sense more distant you know from our true self now if you were to pursue that path and if you were to in a disciplined way go towards your core and then seek to express it in the most harmonized way in your conversations in your moments of conflict in the effortful challenging things you're taking on at work you will find that your life on the outside starts to become more luminous as well 
people start getting more inspired by the presence you bring, by the forethought you bring. They start feeling more comfortable with the respect and engagement with which you're actually taking on every interaction with people. And therefore, over time, you start finding yourself more naturally manifesting the kind of leadership virtues, you know, that I was talking about when I was talking about bringing out the best in yourself and the best in others. Because once you recognize the best in yourself, you free yourself to, on the outside, being able to engage and connect with other people in the world, seeing them for the beauty that lies at their core, the better angels of their nature, rather than getting all very frustrated or disappointed or judgmental or impatient or disappointed and upset and hopeless, you know, about about right. certain behaviors that you're not seeing from them. To do all of that in a core work is what these five energies are about. Purpose, wisdom, growth, love, and self-realization that you, you spoke about, uh, Bob. I mean, I call them energies rather than behaviors because they're meant to be fluid. Right. They're, and they're all internal. Um, it, you made me think of, so years ago, just an analogy, years ago when I did more marketing work with all kinds of startups, I start, someone would come to me and say, I want to do what that company's doing. Like I do their campaigns and all that stuff and so on so forth. I'd be like, you know what? I talked to that company or I know my friends running that company and they're losing a ton of money doing all of those things. <laughs> um, so, you know, the reaction was to do what they were doing, not understanding was what they were doing, getting the outcomes. And I think, you know, one thing I have seen through a lot of reading and a lot of talking to people, I'm sure you have had conversations, all sorts of successful people. Everyone else is measuring those people by their external measure of success. But people who are very achievement oriented, I think are very surprised that getting to these goals, achieving these things, the material things they thought that would make them happy really don't. And I know it's like a smallest violin problem because people are like, oh, poor baby, you know, that person sold their business or they, you know, CEO or whatever. But it is interesting because I think those people objectively have some metrics of success from the outside, but they are maybe haven't done this inner work. They are struggling. They are not as happy as people would perceive. And the problem is, other people are chasing that version of success because they've seen it. And like everything that seems to be exacerbated by a negative fact, you are probably seeing social media and the, the top 5% of, of what that is. But, but I would encourage people. And again, this is, I know this is a world smiles violin program to if you're on that mountain, ha have some conversations with people that have gotten to the top I think you'll be surprised at how, for a lot of them, it didn't deliver what they thought it was going to deliver. And some of it is just endemic to people, like success or addiction. It's sort of addiction that, like, whatever the metric is, as soon as you get there, you'll celebrate it for 10 seconds, then you'll move the mark, and then you'll be in the same thing again. Powerful, powerful thought very resonance with me um robin um and has that uh, been similar to the conversations you've had with people like you know who who from all external things are at that mount success it's so relative it's all so yeah. relative and ultimately i mean the science also shows that absolutely in the conversations i've had the privilege of having with you know folks who are you know billionaires or otherwise very successful in their you know career um you know the our hunger is very self-renewing of wanting to still be relevant, still be in a place where we can look forward to, you know, uh, getting to the highest peak, you know, in our lives. We we don't want to have to only see that being part of our past. Uh, right. This is something that Olympians who have also had a chance to yeah. interact with, you know, also exhibit, right? That they 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 struggle with having peaked so early. And so the point is, like, if you only define your success and and quantify it in material terms, you know, you're going to face that downhill kind of like, you know, issue at, from, you know, at some point. But if you were to define it in some much more intrinsic terms, in terms that have to do more with your capacities, your larger purpose in life, and your ability to re-express it, right? Affirm it and then re-express it in whatever conditions you are offered. Then you can be, in a sense, like a Mandela in prison away from the limelight, you're no longer like the, you know, the object of like public glory and admiration. And yet you're able to re-express, you know, your quest to want to create a more equal world right there, like he did in prison, where he found, for example, there was apartheid being practiced in prison and that the blacks were being treated differently and were being given less calories in their food and were being made to wear shorts, you know, while the white prisoners were made to wear trousers. And he fought against that, you know, in the prison system. And it took a few years for him to reform the prisons, you know, in that dimension. But here he was feeling very meaningful 
feeling very inspired and invested in you know in his cause and so you keep adapting to whatever conditions life throws you in by being deeply anchored in your purpose and goals taking the resources you have financial resources intellectual resources social resources like physical resources right you're a younger person you're an older person what have you you take all the resources you have and you just put them to good use you know i know the story of this very dear 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 monk you know that i have been honored to know over the years and he was you know getting to be very old and here he was very very sick you know this one time feeble and then he learned about this other monk much younger to him who was you know quite unwell you know for a period of a few days and a few weeks and he insists that he needs to go up to kind of meet him and to just like provide him some solace and some inspiration and so here he is you know bent back really feeble climbing up the stairs huffing holding the hands of another monk who's just kind of helping him and he gets to the top and as he gets to the door you know of this monk who's going to he, he wants to just kind of like infuse a little energy in he straightens himself up he goes in there he pumps him up with some joy and some you know kind of just like you know keep going you're going to be well and, and you, you know you're such a fine monk and then he comes out from that goes back to the, down the stairs to his bed and collapses collapses but you know this was a man who was like deeply invested in offering inspiration and spiritual solace to people including his own fellow brothers and in that moment you know he had only so much physical resources available to him but yeah. he used them you know in a meaningful way this episode is brought to you by la quinta by window your work can take you all over the place like texas you've never been but it's going to be great because you're staying at la quinta by window their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead and after you can unwind using their free high speed wifi tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book your stay today at lq.com well, I was actually going to ask you for a story that espoused these principles, um, but but that was a pretty good one. So I'll uh, I'll jump right to last question. I always ask guests, and I always say this is multivariant in that it could be it could be single or repeated, and it could be professional or personal. But what's a mistake that you've made that you've learned the most from? So I was ten years old when I um, got first way drawn to meditation, and I didn't really engage in a regular practice of it then i would do a little bit and dabble with it really and come out and a year later go a little bit back into it and come out and a year later go for a retreat and come out and and i was in my mid-30s when i finally regularized my practice and took some advanced techniques that i'd known of from a very early age in my life committed to doing it you know the twice a day uh commitment that it sought from me and um grew, grew it from there over the years and now it's been you know 20 20 years and you know, I look back at life and I feel like, oh, you know, hey, Tendra, what an idiot. You know, all these years, you were so aware that this was going to, you know, get you somewhere. And you were so intellectually curious and you used to have all kinds of conversations about it. You read as much as you could about it, but yeah. you never really pursued the actual tasting of the fruit. You know, you wanted yeah. to talk about the fruit. You wanted to analyze the fruit. You wanted to talk, you know, engage with it, read about it, but you didn't want to really go ahead and taste it, you know? Eat the dog food. Yeah. 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 Go ahead and you know, experiment. Make your own, you know, self uh, a laboratory in which any idea that you're drawn to, you know, apply it, apply it with some regularity over some period of time and see what magic, you know, it is able to, you know, work in you and trust in then your own experiences in the uh, selection ultimately of the path you want to take. All right. Well, Dr. Wadwa, thank you for joining us. I think your work is extremely as important and has a lot of uh, potential to shape how all of us rethink about um, success. And I look forward to, to seeing the impact of your new book. Pleasure to spend this time with you. Thank you for all the beautiful work you're doing, Bob, to bring inspiring ideas to your audience and all the best to all our listeners as well. All right, to our listeners, thanks for tuning into the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Dr. Wadwa's work and his new book, Inner Mastery, Outer Impact, available wherever books are sold on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode and if you're a frequent listener, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review or a rating as that's what helps new users discover the show. Thank you again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. 
I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.